The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord, I just want to echo the song, Word of God, Speak. Speak clearly to us this morning. We need your understanding. We're desperate for it. All we have brought is not enough. The wisdom that, that we have is not enough. The understanding that we have is not enough. The goodness that we bring is not enough. So Lord, please be with us here today. Speak to us now. Lord, no one is here by any accident. You are sovereign. You're in control. You've led us here today by your grace. And so Lord, please speak to us now. We need to hear from you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I am uh, really glad to be with you this morning. We have communion afterwards, so uh, let's skip all the social niceties and get right to it. So we've been in a series in the first letter of John. Our theme of our series is called Confidence and Joy. And in this little letter of John, there's amazing amount of truth for us as followers of Jesus where we will find our confidence and our joy full in what God has to say to us. And you know, one of the things that's interesting about walking through the book of the Bible, anytime that I pick a book of the Bible to preach through, there are certain passages that I look at and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that means or I don't know how to preach that. We'll figure it out down the road, right? This is one of those passages where we are today in 1 John chapter 2. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 27. This was a passage that if I were to be able to just popcorn through the Bible and pick whatever I want to talk about, I don't know if I would ever have come to this passage. And if I had, I don't know what I would have to say about it. And yet I think that the Lord has incredible confidence and incredible joy for us in this passage this morning. Um, So let's see what he has for us. If you're there already, 1 John chapter 2, look in verse 18. Again, you turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. My, uh, my kids ask a lot of questions, which is true of most kids. I, I read a study on, online that, that said that moms are asked more questions during a day than teachers and doctors are, right? Would you believe that to be true? Moms, you believe that to be true? My kids certainly uh, support this. I, I, I see that the research found that four-year-old girls are the most curious, asking 390 questions a day, averaging a question every one minute and 56 seconds. And my kids have proved that to be true. 
here. Like I've heard these, I've gotten questions like, why are trees naked? Uh, or, or since your eyes are green, does that mean you see everything as green? Uh, which jokes on them, I'm colorblind. And uh, Max asked me the other day, I, was, I said, you know, I love you guys so much. I, I love being a daddy. And Max said, well, one day will I have kids? And I said, yeah, you will, but you have to have a, a wife first. And he said, a wife? And I said, yeah, like mommy is my wife. He said, you got to have a wife like mommy. And he goes, okay, I want a wife. And then Jude, I didn't know he's listening at all. He just looks at me and he goes, he goes, I don't want a wife. I just want to be a kid and have fun. And I was like, all right, yeah. I mean, then definitely don't get a wife. Uh, or, uh, or when we told our twins, my sister just had uh, her first baby. When we told our twins that she was pregnant, um, uh, I remember telling them, yeah, uh, Aunt Amanda has a baby in her tummy. And, and one, I don't remember which one, but one of them said, why did Aunt Amanda eat her baby? And so, like, these are, these, are good, these are good questions. But kids ask questions, and we never grow out of asking questions. I, most of us don't. I don't. I don't grow out of asking questions. If I go get my car worked on, I will stand there next to them as they work on it or whatever. I have no idea what the who's it and the what it is, but I'll ask questions the entire time. Why are you doing that? Why does it look like that, right? Why is the car naked? I will ask all these different questions because we never grow out of asking questions. And so I want to start with the most important question you will ever be asked. And I didn't ask it of you. Jesus asked it of you in Mark's gospel. And here's what he says. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I believe that there's no other question that you'll ever be asked that will be as important than this question. There'll no, there are no other answer you'll ever give that will matter as much as this. I don't care about your ACT. I don't care about uh, uh, your, your test. I don't care if you're ever on a stand somewhere in some legal courtroom. There's no other question that you'll ever be asked that will matter more than this question. Who do you say that I am? And it's an important question. C.S. Lewis thought it was so important that he actually tried to help us narrow down our answers, all right? Give us a little multiple choice with Jesus. And here's what he said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So who do you say that Jesus is? And as you try to answer that question, let me, let me tack on a little warning from Jesus. Jesus said this, be careful that you are not deceived. Be careful that you are not deceived. You know, we don't like being tricked. Anybody here like being tricked? Like, I don't like pranks being pulled on me. I don't like being tricked. I like to pull pranks. Like, there's something in my brain that whenever I see an opportunity to, 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 to pull a prank on somebody, like, my brain immediately goes there. I'm not a very smart guy. I don't work out a lot of things, right? I don't connect the dots as easily in certain things that I wish I could connect the dots in. But there are, like, when a prank is there that could be had, my brain is like, I, I don't, all of a sudden, I'm Stephen Hawking. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I could do this, whatever. Like, for example, someone 
Like weird stuff ends up in my office all the time. I don't know why, but people just leave stuff in there. Someone left a, like a, a lizard, like a rubber lizard on my desk. I don't know why. I guess they thought Grant likes lizards because he's never talked about them. So anyway, so I got this rubber lizard. I don't know why I had it, but I also had um, fishing line and immediately my brain was like, you know, it'd be funny, tape this to the inside of the toilet lid in the women's bathroom in the office and just, and watch Patty like just, I don't die, I guess. I don't know what I thought would happen. So I did it. So I went in there and I, I taped it in there. So when she opened it up, this lizard would come out of the water and it was great. It looked great. And I just sat there. Like I just like waited. And I just looked at the hallway waiting for her to walk by. Well, she never did. And so like after a while, I forget about it. And I go back to doing what I'm doing. Unfortunately for our children's director at the time, Sharon, uh, she came in that day and she's not supposed to. She's supposed to be off that day. There was not supposed to be any collateral damage. But unfortunately for Sharon, she came in and nature called at the same time. And so anyway, I completely forget about it. And I hear this blood curdling scream, right? And then, like, I run out my office, like, what is going on? And then immediately after the blood-curling scream, I hear her scream my name. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember the bad thing I did. And then I was called away. I had to go do a hospital visit. And so, like, I had to, I had to leave. I got to the hospital. There's nobody there. But I had to go. But, like, I like doing that. I like to pull the tricks. I don't like tricks being pulled on me. No one likes the tricks being pulled on them. And why is that? Why don't we like that? I I don't like to be deceived. I don't like to have the wool pulled over my eyes. I don't like to stand there and go, you got me. I don't like that. And, you know, I I think one of the reasons why we're cynical like that is we live in a world of, like, deception. We live in a world that's constantly trying to deceive. Think about advertising, for example. Like, like you've seen the advertising. If you look at a magazine, you have uh, makeup advertising or whatever. Uh, What are they trying to sell you? Put this makeup on and you'll look like this model. No, you won't. She's photoshopped, right? This makeup is not photoshopped in a bottle. Put this makeup on and you'll look like somebody that couldn't exist outside of a computer. Like that's a, that's a lie. You know what? We even like mislead one another sometimes. However, like we, we, might, we might be really uh, have good intentions, but, but accidentally mislead. Like, like parents, for example. Sometimes don't you get tough questions you don't know how to answer or you're not ready to answer. And so you just kind of lovingly mislead them a little bit like for example like my parents I remember asking my parents where babies came from okay and so they weren't as forthright as I would have hoped instead my my, I remember my parents response was this well I said well how is where I come from well um we prayed for you and uh your and your mommy got pregnant and then you you came along God, God gave us to you and I was like oh prayer is the key. And so like there were like years as a little kid, I thought I could pray people pregnant. You know what I mean? And so I'm like in elementary school and I'm like, you better not talk to me. Like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get you triplets. Like you better watch out. Like, I'm going to pray for you. But like even like, like babies, for example, like babies deceive us. Like the other night I, I went up our, our, uh, our almost 12 month old, he turns, uh, he turns a year in like a couple weeks or something. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, he, he was, uh, he, he wouldn't go to sleep. And so he's crying and whatever. And so Angel said, well, you go up there. And I said, sure. So I go up there and, uh, and I, I bring him downstairs because he was pulling his ear. Right? And if you have kids, right? That means earaches. Like kids constantly get earaches. I don't know why, but they do. And so he's pulling his ear. And I'm like, Angela, I don't know. I know why he's crying. He, he's got an earache. And, and she's like, no, he doesn't. And I was like, you know, he does because he's pulling his ear. And when he pulls his ear, we take him out of the bed and, and bring him down here to us. And she goes, yeah. And he knows that. And I was like, oh, baby. Like that baby, that baby was fine. 
that baby lied to me. Like, that is crazy. And so, like, I was like, you are baby. Like, that is crazy. You're a smart baby. But we, like, not just babies. We do it to ourselves. Like, we lie to ourselves, right? Have you ever, have you ever gotten a little bit of information and then worked yourself up into a frenzy? Like, you, you thought of this incredible scenario of how, like, this great conspiracy theory, and you've convinced yourself that this is true? Like, we all do this. We, we all, like, this is a, like, we constantly are deceived by other people or even by ourselves. And, and this is a day of deception. Look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Those who are trying to deceive you. Who's trying to deceive us? Look in verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. So John believes that apparently there's an Antichrist coming, right? Antichrist being who? Satan, the opposite of Jesus, right? And so he says, now there are people, though. There are Antichrists now, meaning there are people doing his work. There are people who are, are doing what he wants to do. There are people who are making him happy and not making the Lord happy. And he makes it clear when we get to chapter 4, it makes it even more clear. In, in verse 3, he says, such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. Talking about someone who, who, is, uh, who denies the acknowledgement of, of Jesus as the Son of God. He says, such the person is the spirit of the Antichrist. So there are people that are trying to deceive. And so the enemy's at work to deceive us. To deceive us from what? What's he trying to mislead us in? What's his deception? Look there in verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Here it is, verse 22. Here's the deception. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. What's his deception? What's he trying to do? What was the most important question I said you'll ever ask? Who do you say that I am? That's the most important question you'll ever answer. Who do you think Jesus is? So what is the enemy's deception? What's he trying to fool us with? He's trying, to, he's trying to mess up the answer to the most important question we have. He's trying to mess up the answer to who do you think Jesus is. In other words, he doesn't want you to know the truth about Jesus. So his deception is what? His deception is this, the distortion of Jesus. That's his deception. That's his, that's his goal, that's his model, that's his mission, and that's his deception, the distortion of Jesus. Jesus' mission was what? Twofold, to rescue us and to reveal the Father, right? That's his mission. I'm here to rescue you and I'm here to reveal to you who I am. I want this, I'm I'm reconciling you to myself. We can have this relationship and here I am. So what does the enemy want to do? Man, I want to mess that up. Could he mess up the rescue mission? Well, he tried, but he failed, right? He was like, aha, I killed that guy. That didn't work. Jesus actually wanted that to happen. And so he comes back to life. The rescue mission is good that he can't mess that up. So what can he do? Well, he can mess up the revelation that God, that uh, of Jesus, uh, of Jesus to us, right? And you say, you know what? If that's his plan, he's doing a bad job. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Like everybody knows who Jesus is. It is rare that you run into somebody and you say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, son of God or whatever. And they're like, I don't know that guy. Like, wh- who are you talking about? Like, what is Christmas? I don't know. We know who Jesus is. He's doing a bad job of, of distorting Jesus. I, I, would, I would say this. People might know about him, but do people really know like the real Jesus? And I'm not talking I'm not talking about the history channel around Easter, right? Where you get all these like specials. We found the real Jesus. He was actually a midget. Like that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is like we think we know a lot about him, but do we know the truth about him? 
Like, for example, like celebrities. We live in an age of accessibility with celebrities. You can get on Instagram, and, and you can look at what your celebrities are eating for dinner, which is super fascinating. But you can do that, or you can tweet at them, or you can, like, like it's really accessible. It's very rare that we have celebrities that the only time we see them is on the movie screen. It's very rare that the only time we see them is, 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 is in a, a TV show or something like that. Their lives are very uh, out there. They're very open. And so a lot of times we feel like we know them. But then when scandal strikes or, or something, something bad happens, what do we do? Like we flip out. And we go, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. Why? Because we think we know them. But the reality is we only know a distortion of them. We don't know the true self. And I think that the enemy does that for Jesus as well. The enemy distorts who Jesus is. And, and what I mean is he distorts his message, right? Like, like people say, well, Jesus' message was love. I agree. I completely agree. And you would agree as well, I imagine, but define love. Well, here's the distortion, right? What is love? Well, it means that we just all need to get along and accept everybody and be cool with what everybody's doing and, and, and you do you and I do me and, and all this other stuff. But Jesus regularly confronted sin. He regularly called people to change the way they live. Jesus drove people out of the temple with a whip. These are, these are churchy people, right? He drove them out of the temple with a whip. Jesus made his enemies so mad. By the way, he had enemies, all right? And he made them so mad, they wanted to kill him, right? Like, that's a big deal. Like, is that love? Was Jesus loving? Well, it says he is. Jesus is love, according to the scriptures. So, we have this distortion already when we get to the minutia of what is love. Jesus' message was peace. I agree with you. I'm all about it. But peace of what? Jesus' message was, in his mission was so you could have peace of mind? Or was it peace between nations? Or was it peace in relationships? Because Jesus described his peace and he said, my peace is not like anything else you'll ever find. You can't even compare it to anything else. So again, we have this message. We agree on, yeah, Jesus' message was peace, but define peace. Again, another distortion. Jesus' message was forgiveness. I completely agree. I'm with you. True. Got it. But what does that forgiveness look like? Is it universal? Some would say it is. Is it automatic? Is it final? Is it temporary? Again, we see this room for distortion. Jesus' message was follow me. True. But what does that look like? Come to church some? Listen to Caleb, right? Give money to missionaries? What, what does that look like? What, what does following Jesus look like? Again, we see the enemy wants to distort Jesus, and he does that by distorting and confuting his message. And I think he's done a good job so far. He also distorts his mission. Jesus wants to make you happy might be a mission you think he has. Or Jesus is there to help you out of a bind. Jesus is your co-pilot. I've seen that bumper sticker. Jesus is your salvation supplement. In other words, he'll help you be good enough. You know, he'll help you kind of be a better person. That's his, that's his thing. But Jesus is clear about his mission. He says, I, my mission is I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. I came to die. Well, hold up. That's not what I see here. Again, a distortion of his mission. Or maybe he even distorts his, fa- distorts his face, his identity. Jesus is a good moral teacher. He's an important historical figure. He's a God among many. He's, but, but look at what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, look, before Abraham was, I am. He's, he's declaring that he's the eternal God. He says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I'm not one of many. I'm the only. Jesus said to see him is to see the Father. Jesus said that he and the Father are one. He's God. That's his claim. And the enemy wants to distort Jesus' face by, and distort his identity, right? 
And this is the deception of the Antichrist. We're not talking about like secondary issues. We're not talking about tertiary issues. We're not talking about like, hey, should we baptize infants? We're not talking about, hey, uh, uh, do you believe, are you a Calvinist? You're Arminius. We're not talking about how our church should be governed. Should we have elders or, or should the deacons do this or whatever? We're not talking about who should be ordained or who should not. This is of primary importance. Who is Jesus? And he operates this deception through people, through anti Christ. And these are not just people who are incorrect. Let me be clear about that, okay? This is not just people who are incorrect. I'm not saying that people who are out there who are incorrect about Jesus, the Bible is saying that they are antichrists, okay? That, that, that the enemy is, is, is necessarily using them. Instead, these are people who are actively distorting the truth about Jesus. And the scripture right here in First John gives us two different categories of people who the enemy uses. One is a people from the fellowship. Look at verse 19. They went out from from us, but they were not of us. So I'm going to call these people spiritual deceivers, people who would have this, this spiritual mindset or fall into a spiritual category, but again, they're distorting the image of Jesus. One might be a cult, those claiming deity. And if you look on Wikipedia, you'll find the craziest list ever. There's a list on Wikipedia of everyone who's claimed to be Jesus publicly um, in this century and the century before and the century before that. And it's a crazy list of people, and it's pretty great, all right? Like, I really, you need to check it out. But but there's a lot on that list. In fact, I found one that led me to watch this like little 10 minute vice documentary on this, this, this guy living in Thailand claiming to be Jesus. It was absolutely nuts, but it was interesting. But anyway, like you have those people, probably the most famous of, of recent history is, uh, is Sun Moon. Anyone ever heard of Sun Moon of the Unification Church? He believed that he was the second coming of Jesus. He believed that he and his wife were the, were the perfect Adam, the perfect Eve, right? That crazy guy, he died in 2012, so I guess he was but that's one of the distortions of Jesus is people claiming to be Jesus. But maybe not overtly in cults, but, but also the Lord uh, or the enemy uses uh, world religions. You look at Mormonism, for example. Their view of Jesus is a distortion of the revealed Jesus we find in the scriptures. They believe that he's a created being, not the eternal creator as the scriptures reveal to us. They believe that he wasn't God originally. He obtained Godhood because that's something you can obtain according to them. He isn't equal to the Father, so they don't pray to the Father. They don't pray to Jesus. They only pray to the Father. He's not equal with him in honor, um, and so they don't pray to him. He's also the savior of this world. They'll acknowledge that, but there are others. He's the savior of this world, but there are other worlds with other saviors and other gods. It's a distortion of the real Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created spiritual creature. They believe that he was Michael the archangel who became the Messiah. God made him the Messiah. And now he is a God, but not God. He again is below the Father. There are other gods. He is one of them. In Islam, Jesus is a prophet, just like Muhammad was a prophet. They believe in the virgin birth that God uh, sent him and made him a special prophet. However, they believe that he wasn't crucified, that God the Father spared him the crucifixion, put someone else in his likeness on the cross so that he didn't have to suffer, and then rose him again to life. Again, these are world religions distorting the view of who Jesus is. False teachers, even within Christianity, I'm using air quotes here, Christianity, pastors and teachers who deny the humanity of Jesus, pastors and teachers who deny the deity
divinity of Jesus while he was on earth. Jesus, or, or people who think that Jesus is our spiritual genie who works for us, who wants to make us healthy and wealthy. These are spiritual people the enemy uses. And then there are those from the outside, or, or what we might call secular deceivers. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So there's deception of people who, who never claimed to know Jesus, who don't claim Jesus. And those would say he's an overblown historical figure. That's all he is. Christopher Hitchens, actually a, a famous atheist, of course, went on to say, he made an argument in his book, God is Not Great, that the existence of Jesus is highly questionable. He even, he even thought that, that the historical figure of Jesus was highly questionable. His argument uh, had a lot of logical fallacies, if you want to check it out for yourself. One being that he thought that the, 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 story, uh, uh, the story of the account of, of his birth, it was so detailed and it had, uh, and, and it had so many, um, it fulfilled so many prophecies that were so, that were so difficult, that, that, would, that were so impossible, that it had to be made up. Because it had so many details and he fulfilled something that was such a long shot, it had to be made up. This was his argument. But he doesn't believe that, that even Jesus is, uh, uh, was a real person. Those who deny his deity and reduce him just to be a, a moral teacher, Richard Dawkins, uh, Christopher Hitchens' buddy, Chris, Richard Dawkins said this of Jesus. He said, Jesus was a great moral teacher. Somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he had known what we know today. Richard Dawkins says that Jesus was a great, forget the atheist part. That's just him trying to like get people angry. That's what he does. Forget that. He says he's a great moral teacher. This, Jesus claimed to be God. Would you call a lunatic a great moral teacher? Like, well, I mean, yeah, he does think he's God and all, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, whatever. But like, he's got some pretty good stuff to say, right? Like, no, you're a lunatic. Or what if even worse, he's a liar. He knows he's not God, but he's claiming to be God. Would you say that person's a great moral teacher? A great moral teacher. He's lying about being God. He's misleading all of his followers. But yeah, he's a great moral teacher. It doesn't make sense. Even, way, even those who would reduce him to a joke. I think now, like one of the things I've seen so much in entertainment lately is not just that Jesus' followers have, have become a joke. Because we're easy to make fun of. Like I make fun of us all the time because we're weird. Like we're absolutely weird. And you're, I'm sorry, we're all easy to make fun of, okay? Like just this, right? That's easy to make fun of. You can make fun of Jesus' followers. But I'm saying lately on television, they've reduced Jesus. He's the punchline so often. Like Emmy award-winning television shows, he is the punchline. And what is, what's the point there? How can the enemy use that? Again, reducing his importance. He's not important. He's just a joke. And the main goal here, again, is to distort. Whether they're spiritual people or secular people, the main goal of our enemy is to use them to distort the truth of Jesus. And look carefully at this passage. Who is his target? Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. We can all fall for it. We can all be deceived and give in to this distortion of Jesus. Haven't you ever realized some sort of uh, distortion of Jesus you foolishly believed, right? Like, like maybe, maybe uh, you've seen his majesty reduced to a good teacher. You've, you've, you've relegated him to the, the realm of being just a, a good teacher rather than a master to submit to. Maybe you believe that he's here to help you be, be good enough, right? The spiritual supplement. Not that he's your rescuer and he's your substitute, but instead he's 
He's gonna, he's gonna help me. I'm gonna be good enough. I'm gonna work hard enough. Maybe, maybe even you've, you've reduced his unmatched wisdom to, to be on the same level with the other wisdom that our world would have to offer. And you say, you know what? Jesus has a lot of good things to say, but so does this person and this person and this person. And I'll just put them all together. And again, for us believers, it's not about a complete denial necessarily. Maybe it's not about completely walking away from Jesus, walking away from the church. But again, it's believing a distortion. Again, maybe it's reducing his preeminence to a mild importance or instead of seeing his heroic sacrifice on the cross for what it is, instead we see it as a boring footnote in our history. So how do we protect ourselves? Because I think the Lord wants to protect us. Look at verse 20. But you've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Skip to verse 27. But the anointing, there it is again, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as taught you abide in him. What's the anointing? According to Acts 10, 31, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 4, 13, it says that God has given us what? His Spirit. So I think the anointing referred to in verse 20 and 27 is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that all believers have. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, you've been marked by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit protects us from deception about Jesus. The Holy Spirit. And how does he protect us? Look at verse 27. The anointing you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Why? Because he teaches you what is true. And you say, hang on a second, hang on a second. We can't just say the Holy Spirit teaches what what is true because so many deceivers use that, right? Think about false teachers. Don't they claim to know that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me this is true, right? Well, okay, fine, right? Like how, how they, they use it. For example, my, my, uh, my brother was driving in and he called me because he was listening to this, uh, this radio station and it was Jimmy Swaggart's radio station, and he was he just laughing, like he just thought it was really a funny radio station to listen to, and, and so I, I started to look up Jimmy Swaggart, just like interested, I just haven't, I haven't heard about Jimmy Swaggart in forever, so I looked it up, and one of the things that I read was when he was, uh, there was one week he was arrested, he was caught with a prostitute in his car, and he stood before his church, you know what he said? He said, I was going to tell you what happened, I thought I needed to answer to you, but the Holy Spirit told me that it's none of your business. He told his church that. And people were like, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, none of my business. All right, move on. What do you got to say, Jimmy? Like, that is crazy. But people use that all the time. The Holy Spirit told me, so you can't argue with that. It's the Holy Spirit, right? So how does he do it? It has to be anchored in something. Otherwise, we can do what all deceivers do. It just goes crazy, right? The teaching has to be anchored. Anchored where? Look at verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So what's the anchor? The anchor is the Word. So the Holy Spirit teaches us through what? Through the Word of God. He protects us by teaching us the truth of who Jesus is through the Word of God. And Jesus said that's what he would do. John 14, 26, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit's job is to teach us and to reveal to us more about who Jesus is. You wanna know the real Jesus? Let the Holy Spirit teach you by reading God's Word. The more you engage God's Word, 
with the Holy Spirit, the more you'll understand about him. The more God will reveal who Jesus is to you. And you know what? You say, fine, uh, great. What a great sermon. We ended right here, the same cop out, read the Bible. That, you say it every week, read the Bible. It's not a cop out. Like God will reveal himself to you there. That's incredible. Be there. I think about like anybody got really into the, the royal wedding when that happens, like the royal wedding. Like we're America, who cares? Like we won, they're not, they're out of our lives. Like why, why do we care what they're doing? But anyway, it's like checking up on your ex on Facebook or whatever. But anyway, so like a lot of people really cared about the royal wedding and people traveled all over just to catch a glimpse of them driving by in a car or even for the royal baby, the same thing. People traveled from other countries to just catch a glimpse of a baby, right? That royal baby, and he doesn't do anything. He's not like pooping Fabergé eggs, right? Like he's just a baby. It's no big deal, right? But people did that. Why? Because I want to meet him. I want to see him. I want to be there, right? If the Queen of England called me today and was like, hey, Grant, come meet me here tomorrow. I'm out. I'm going to be there. I want to meet her. I want to see that, right? And so when I say, read the word of God, I'm not, I'm not just like casting you aside. I'm not giving you a, a spiritual cop out. The reality is that God meets us there, that his Holy Spirit meets us there and reveals to us more about the God of the universe. Are you kidding me right now? He reveals us more about the truth of the lover of our souls. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And here's the deal. You don't need me to do that. You have the Holy Spirit who will meet you there in the scriptures and reveal that truth to you. That's incredible. So, so read the word of God. That's not a cop-out. That's not a cop-out. It's a roadmap to knowing God. That's incredible. And this portion of scripture, it closes with two instructions. In 24, it says, let the word abide in you. In verse 27, it says, you abide in the spirit. What does that mean? It means let the word remain in you. Let it be forever important to you. Love it. When you love something, what are you? You're devoted to it. You're around it. Read it. Let it be the food for your day. Live in it. Let it affect the way you treat others. Let it affect the way that you see the world. Let it be in your mind as you meditate on it and memorize it. Let it be the ruler that you hold everything up against and measure whether it's good or whether it's helpful or whether it's, it's holy. Let it be the words that you pray let the word remain in you. Then it says abide in the spirit. What does that mean? Remain in the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you remain in the Holy Spirit? Trust him to teach you in the word. When you read the word and meditate on the word of God, you're interacting with the Holy Spirit. You're remaining in the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will instruct you. You're interacting there. And when you live out, when you're obedient to what you read in the word of God, when you live your life to make the Lord happy, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. You can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit working in you and working in me to make the Lord happy. So when you show kindness to others, you're remaining in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's at work. When you forgive, when you encourage, when you give God thanks and praise, when you're generous, when you're faithful, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Anytime you choose to live your life in such a way to please the Lord Jesus, you're remaining in the Holy Spirit, allowing him to work in you. And what's the reward for those who abide in the word and in the Holy Spirit who know the truth about the Lord Jesus? What's the reward? 
eternal life. That's what the scripture says. That's his promise to us, eternal life. And by the way, we focus so much on, on the eternal, we don't focus on the life. Like eternal, yes, absolutely, forever, right? Death, like it's, it's just, it's literally a doorway, right? I have eternity with him. But what is that life? That life that Jesus offers us, it's eternal, abundant, joyful, happy, satisfied fulfillment in Jesus. That's his promise. If you know the truth of Jesus, starting right now for the rest of your days, you will have this, this joyful, abundantly wonderful, satisfied fulfillment in knowing the lover of your souls now and forever. That's his promise. So I want to close this sermon in a different way today. Um, and then we're going to be able to celebrate communion together. Since the enemy is distorting the truth of Jesus, I want to end with a clear declaration of who Jesus is from the word of God. If you have your little notes there, it's on the back there. Jesus is God. Jesus was never created. Jesus is the creator of everything. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's ever present. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He took on man's nature. Jesus was fully human, subject to our emotions, our weaknesses, our temptations. Jesus is sinless. He's spotless. He's innocent. He's gentle. He's merciful. He's forgiving. Jesus came to save sinners. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus' body was raised from the dead. Jesus' blood brings reconciliation with God. It brings redemption for us. His blood allows us to be justified before God. It brings eternal life for us. He destroyed the works of Satan. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He gives life now. He's our advocate before the Father right now. He'll take his people to heaven. He'll return to the earth in power and glory. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he'll never send you away if you come to him. Those of the Father give gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. So let me close with Jesus' question one more time. Who do you say that I am? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the revelation of yourself. Lord, thank you for the rescue that you've come, Lord, to rescue us from ourselves. Lord, you've come to do something we couldn't do. We couldn't make ourselves right, but you have made us right before the Father. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for offering us a new life. No matter who we are, where we came from, Lord, you are offering us a new life in you. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, thank you that although there are distortions abounding around us about who you are. You clearly come to reveal yourself and thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to protect us and to teach us by anchoring us in the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room would dive into that anchor and Lord, we would be excited and we would see that as we come to the word of God, we interact with the Holy Spirit of God who is teaching us and revealing to us more and more about the character of the lover of our souls. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you continue to do for us. Lord, now as we come to take communion together and to remember your body broken and to remember your blood poured out, Lord Jesus, may this make you happy. Lord Jesus, may you be honored. Lord, as we remember, um, Lord, may we come with grateful hearts and may we come with solemn hearts, not, not sad, but serious hearts knowing that our Lord Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for us. 
He was our substitute, taking our suffering, taking, our, uh, taking the wrath of God on himself for our sin. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Do great things as we remember your body broken and your blood poured out. In Jesus' name, amen.